Hello everyone, this is Pastor Amy. And first let me say how much of a struggle my voice has had these last five weeks. You can hear how strained I still am. Thank you for all your patience. I wanted to do far more visiting and activity recently than I've been able to do with this crazy cold that won't let up and asthma. I'm getting there, but I do apologize that I have been down and out. I wanted to take a moment to say a final word to you while listening at home. Many of you are aware that this is my last Sunday with you preaching before I step away from my call at Bethel. The sermon we're offering today is my final blessing to you, unless you count the celebration that we're going to have at the end of January. That's just a little plug there to contact the office if you would like details in attending that party. Before we hear our word from Sunday, I wanted to voice here my deep gratitude for the listening community that you have been these last few years. I never could have anticipated how our ministry changed as we adapted to COVID. And your faithful presence in these digital spaces made my preaching and teaching and my prayer so meaningful during a time when it was really easy to feel discouraged. I cannot thank you enough for the kind words and the ways that you've connected with us. And even to those of you that we have not met, just knowing you were out there made a huge difference to our work as a music and worship team. Some of you have asked what I'll be doing next, and I'm excited to share something very different. Still ministry, still accompanying people and caring for them, but I'll be in private practice. I'll be working with couples and families and small groups, all on connection and communication and navigating those changes that life throws at us. So a different setting, but ultimately it's kind of the same work. I feel like this next step is a very natural outgrowth from all that we have done together and the ways that you have shaped me. So that's all I wanted to say here. Thank you with my whole heart. Thank you. We're going to pick up now with the gospel reading recorded live from Sunday. This is a dialogue sermon. I had the honor to preach with Monica, our intern. You will hear us going back and forth as we offer our insights into the story of Mary and Elizabeth, which you can find in the first chapter of Luke, and I encourage you to take a look at it before listening. Okay, friends, that's it. Farewell, dear ones. I will miss you all. Amen. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. The word of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to all of you this morning. So like Amy said, we're going to do a bit of a back and forth. It won't get too complicated, don't worry. For the past month during worship here at Bethel, we have been following the theme from generation to generation. It's been in our readings. It's been in the poems, things like that. Now, it's not in the song that we just sang, but that's actually a quote from Mary's speech. If we would read the whole, all the verses, you would have heard it. And the verses read, Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In these verses, Mary takes the hopes of her ancestors and the fears of those around her who are living in uncertain times and proclaims the greatness and faithfulness of God, reminding those around her and, I suspect, giving herself a needed reminder as well, that God is greater than anything that we can comprehend. And it makes me think of the song, Mary, Did You Know? I love that song. I think it's beautiful. But I don't know if you know, but in recent years, it's gotten a lot of flack online because people will say, of course Mary knew. The angel told her. Yes, Mary knew who her son was going to be. Mary knew. But that doesn't mean she didn't need an occasional reminder. Because we all know too, don't we? We know the end of the story. We know who Jesus is. But we still need to tell it to ourselves and to each other, because sometimes it's easy to forget or push aside a little bit. And I think it could only have been the same for Mary, surrounded as she was by people who didn't know, people who didn't believe her, probably didn't care. And what a relief it must have been. Such a beautiful blessing, such an overwhelming relief to show up at her cousin's house and have Elizabeth meet her with a shout of joy the acknowledgement that Elizabeth knows too, that Elizabeth believes her, that Mary doesn't have to carry the weight of what she's going through alone, that someone can affirm that she is not crazy, that there is hope and they can proclaim the blessings of God together. And as the passage tells us, the Holy Spirit was there with them. That is the undeniable and irreplaceable blessing of community that Mary found in Elizabeth. Between them together, they knew, and we know, that even though their babies, John the Baptist and Jesus, were still unseen, God was working in and through the two of them together. The spirit was moving, prodding, inspiring, and getting ready. Now, I've been with you here at Bethel for almost four months now, and I found that I see echoes of this gospel passage here, every Sunday, I love seeing people greet each other with joy, with caring, with questions about how you or your family members or people you know are doing. And I love to hear the stories about how everybody is tied together. Uh, at our last high school group meeting, yeah, Autumn's laughing, the girls were telling me about some things that happened with some mutual friends of theirs, and just about every couple of sentences they would have to stop and explain and say, well, that person's related to this person at Bethel, or that person lives next door to this person that you know, and maybe that's normal for all smaller churches and smaller towns, but one thing that I've learned quickly is that everybody here is wrapped up somehow in somebody else's story. You may be too used to it to notice, but I've seen the Holy Spirit at work here at Bethel, binding people together and prodding the type of worship that involves shouts of greeting hugs, support, and service to God and to each other. As I come to this passage, I remember uh, the words of Debbie Thomas. I came upon her Mary and Elizabeth uh, Advent reflection, last Advent, actually. And when I read it, I thought, this, this is what I will tell them next year. I'd already written the sermon. So this is for you, something that I've been carrying around for 12 months to tell you. 
When Mary and Elizabeth greet one another and they sing and they give blessings, this is the first Christian worship service. Wherever there are two or three gathered, here we have four, wherever they are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. And Jesus is there. He is there and they are confessing him. Their hearts are kindled to faith and trust. They are singing. They're telling the story. This is worship. I loved this when I discovered it because of its beauty, this idea of the first Christian worship service. And it rang true for what I have known worship to be, especially gathered and singing and believing with all of you. This week, the council asked me, I sat down with Julie Weaver and uh, with Diana Leahy, the, and they asked me what I've been most proud of in my time at Bethel, and I told them, you know, it sounds maybe too simple to say, but it is not, I assure you. I am most proud that when we come together on Sunday morning, and it has been this way every Sunday since I've been here, God is present, and we know we are alive. Really? That's not true in other churches, asked Diana. She's very charitable. <laughs> I said, yeah, really, right? God is present in other churches. I don't doubt that. But the people don't always know they're alive. <laughs> but the people here know that they're alive. And what a privilege it has been to be alive with all of you. But the beauty and truth of Mary and Elizabeth worshiping and being alive together now is meaningful in a whole new way that I could not have anticipated a year ago. As I am in my very last hours with you as your official pastor, then I get to be your official friend, I notice that someone is missing from the ancient motherly worship scene. There's no pastor. There is no official clerical priestly presence. There is no institutional guidance. Unless, of course, you count Zechariah. And the Monica pointed, she pointed that out when we talked about this. But both of us agree he's floating around out on the edge somewhere. He's not the focus. He's not the center. And if memory serves, he's been struck mute anyway. <gasps> Just like me. So when I am no longer here on Sunday... You will still have a pastor. It was touch and go there for a while, but you got him. An intern in the presence of an institution. Nonetheless, there likely will be a temptation. You might want to wait on many things for the new pastor to arrive, the official leader. But I believe Mary and Elizabeth would tell us something different. You are the focus, they would say. And you are the arms circling around God. Do not wait to greet and to celebrate and believe and trust and confess. You do not need to wait for the official authority, even if it feels exciting. God is in the midst of you. That's what these mothers would tell us. Luke is the only gospel writer who devotes a large amount of space to the time before Jesus' birth. And some might say it's not necessary to devote time and energy to Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist. Why not get straight to Jesus? He's the main character, after all. But I would disagree with that. I appreciate these 86 verses that the Gospel of Luke devotes to the people who prepared for the arrival of Jesus. They prepared for his arrival. They were people who knew that something big was going to happen, 
who had faith that God had some exciting plans, and who, rather than just sitting and waiting and hiding and avoiding, drew on their own faith and the faith of those around them to do what they needed to do, in even the little ways that they could to keep the story of God moving forward. And as Pastor Amy voiced for us, Bethel is entering a period that could be seen as a time of waiting. When a pastor leaves and a call process starts, some congregations stop. And it's easy to worry about a lack of a central leader, to look to, to carry the mission of the church forward, and to think, well, when the new pastor gets here, we'll, or let's save that for the new pastor, or but the new pastor might not like that, so let's not... But as Pastor Amy pointed out, this church is not its pastor, or its interim, or its intern. The Holy Spirit does not leave when the pastor does, and the needs and the love of this community remain. In the body of Christ, it is not the pastor who is the head, it is Christ that is the head, and the pastor is just one more body part, no more less or important than any of us in this room. But I think you know this already. But just like Mary, I don't think it hurts to be reminded that where the Holy Spirit is, where two or more are gathered to celebrate what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised, Christian worship is strong and holy and so, so needed right here, right now. I so appreciate that Monica has discerned for us the difference between waiting and preparing. Those are two powerhouse words in guiding us in the days leading to Christmas. We are waiting for a savior. Soon you'll be waiting for a pastor. And just to be clear, pastors and salvation are two different things, right? I don't think that's any news to you all. But these are seasons of waiting. And waiting does require patience and some degree of quiet and stillness and the looking inward to name what needs named and to map the journey we've been on and to begin discerning the future we are going towards. But here's the thing, waiting does not mean doing nothing. There was a great deal going on in those ancient days. 86 verses of ordinary people getting ready. There will be many preparations in your time of waiting, and my prayer is that you will undertake them with intentionality and love and an awareness of the great abundance in God and one another. One thing that I love best about Bethel, I say one, but you ask me tomorrow, and I will have two more, and the day after that, I will have two more after that. A thing that I love best about you and so shines in light of the story of Mary and Elizabeth is your friendship. Now I get that some of you are introverts. I know this. I get it that some of you actually are just beginning to make friends here because you need the time for yourself, right? Because you need to focus on God and on your faith. You might not be a joiner. I understand this. I don't know if you knew this, but at all the other churches I've been a part of, I always sat in the back row and I never went to coffee hour. <laughs> Sometimes you need that time for yourself. I say this, I say this at the same time, I also see that friendship is the mainstay of this community. And I don't mean in the golf course, rotary club, or PTO kind of way. Many of you do life together. 
And that is distinctive. You do life together outside of Sunday morning, beyond these walls, beyond the official worship hour and a half. You carry each other in prayer during the week. Sometimes you eat together, you travel together, sing together, build stuff together. I love, I went to John's house and he showed me what Chuck had built, <laughs> right? Like those kinds of things happen all the time. You get ready for prom together, Autumn and Grace. You bring in the herd together. You hunt ducks, grill tri-tip, volunteer at the library together, visit the hospital. I'll never forget the times, multiple people this has happened to. I've gone to the hospital for an emergency and a Bethel member has already been there and they're visiting that person, not a blood relationship, and they are massaging them. Like, how amazing is that? I remember Kathy did that for Joyce Dawson when she was in the emergency room. I remember Rita has done that for multiple people that she has gone to see. You show up for each other. You show up with food in those emergencies. You tend to each other's suffering. You bury your dead. You walk, you sit, you cry, you laugh, you breathe together. Worship makes you strong as a community, and your life together makes your worship strong. Mary and Elizabeth were together too, and as I have said to you in different ways at many times, because they were, Jesus is, and because Jesus is, we are, and because we are, and God is almost anything is possible, almost. How about everything is possible? Monica is going to close us now with a benediction. So on this fourth and final Sunday of Advent, as we head into a new year full of uncertainty, as every new year is, let's keep hold of the joy and anticipation of the period before Christmas. And let our worship and service and fellowship continue to magnify the Lord and rejoice in God our Savior, just as Mary and Elizabeth did all those years ago. Because surely, from now on, all generations will call us blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for us, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Amen. Amen. You're invited to stand and join in the sermon here.